Welcome back to Revive School. I'm Tom Schieffer from uh, Northern Indiana, one of the pastors, and it is just a joy to be here with you. And we're going to carry on where we were with Pastor Gordy yesterday, going through the seven churches of Revelation. We're coming to church uh, number five, actually. Let's go to the map. So we went through just a recap from yesterday. It's important to do this. Started in Ephesus. That's the Love Less Church. To Smyrna, the stalwart church. A lot of commendation there. Then on to Pergamos, they were a compromising church. Then into Thyatira, the moral compromising church. And we're going to follow this same pattern in this same line that, that Pastor Gordy used with the commission, the character, the commendation, the condemnation, correction, call and challenge. And call and challenge, we're going to see an inversion coming in this pattern uh, that we are going to join in together as we go through it. So our next church, Sardis. But notice the character of Christ, the character of the I am, as he comes in here, the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, I know your works. Now, Sardis is an interesting place here about their works because they have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. We're going to get to the dead here in a second. But I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive. Sardis has three main landmarks around them. Everything in these seven churches highlight so much detail about the city, about the church, about the area, about the commerce, about the identity of that group. There is no wasted words here. Everything has something to it. In Sardis, there's an acropolis, uh, an outcropping, 800 feet above the city, nearly perpendicular rock walls on three sides. It becomes a natural citadel. There's a temple to Artemis, one of the Greek gods, unfinished. They never finished it, but they built it on top of the temple to Sibylle, who was believed to possess the special power of restoring the dead to life. Hang on to that. And there's a necropolis. There's, you know, acropolis is where you had government buildings. Well, there was a necropolis. That's where you buried people. It was a cemetery of a thousand hills. Literally a thousand burial mines, mounds that could be seen from seven miles away from the city. How would you like to be known for that? I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive. But here comes the condemnation. They're dead. So here comes then more of this. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. This urgent call, wake up, be alert. Um, this city has a history of attack. Remember I told you about these 800 feet walls? And they thought, hey, our, our protection, we got it. We don't have to worry. Well, you know what? The story is that Cyrus, and we remember him from our earlier work in the prophets, captured this city by sending a climber up the nearly perpendicular wall through a crevice, and they captured the city. The Romans did the same thing. Look, take effort to be alert. Don't sit back and rest. Because you have to be aware that you're open to attack, even if you think you're not. And strengthen what remains. This whole area, we're going to see in a little bit, two of the cities were impacted by a nearly catastrophic earthquake in A.D. 17. 
they rebuilt with the help of Emperor uh, Tiberius, but they never fully recovered. It was not complete. This was a church, this was a city that never finished anything. Be alert, be aware, and then strengthen what remains. Complete something. I found your works, not found your works complete before my God. Keep watch. Why? Because remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. But if you are not alert, I will come like a thief and you will have no idea at what hour I will come against you. Pay attention. Become alert. Turn this around. Uh, you know, the coming of the I am, our word for revelation, the coming of Christ, is going to be sudden and unexpected, but not unknown. We are being prepared for it. He's told us, I'm not going to give you the hour, but I'm coming. And everything he said is going to happen. Uh, the church today, I mean, this, this whole element of Sardis, what appearance do we have? Do we look alive but are dead on the inside? Are we concerned with the things that are important to God? Are we completing what God has called us to do? Are we sitting back resting on our laurels? Is there a sneak attack coming that we're not even looking for because we're so smug? But he carries on in verse 4. But you have a few people in Sardis. There's the remnant who have not defiled their clothes. And they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. Who wears white clothes? I don't usually. Kevin doesn't. Did your did your wife wear a white dress when you got married? She did. She did. Keep hanging on to this image of the white clothing. In the same way, the victor will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. This is in where we've moved from Gordy's King James yesterday. It wasn't Gordy's King James. It's the King James Version. And they use the word overcomer. And that's an incredibly important word. But the word that Holman uses, NIV uses, is victor. It means the same thing. But notice, it is a calling for us to overcome. And when we overcome, we become victorious, dressed in white, and I will never erase your name from the book of life. Here's this incredible version of the book of life. First came out in, in Exodus. Again, notice the, the consistency of God all the way through. And notice here, but will acknowledge my name before my father and before his angels and never erase his name from the book of life. What was the pagan temple that was there was somebody who supposedly could bring the dead to life. Jesus is saying, I'm the one that can really do that. I'm the one that can really do that. And then here comes the call. And again, notice it's inverted. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Kevin, is churches singular or plural? It's plural. Now, isn't that interesting? Keep in mind, He's identifying and sending this to specific churches, but the message is for the churches. It's for all of us to listen to. It's vital. So Sardis is the dead, not in Christ's church.
had a reputation for being alive, but was dead. And then we go on to Philadelphia. Oh, you didn't know. You thought it was in Pennsylvania, didn't you? No, it's actually here. To the church in Philadelphia, right. Philadelphia is a fascinating name. Go to the history of this. There's actually this whole amazing story of the name of Philadelphia, and it's based on the early kings, probably the king of Pergamos, who came and founded this city, and a relationship with his brother, and how his brother sacrificially loved on his older brother who was king. And there's a couple of versions of how that works, but in light of that, he's given the name Philadelphia because this is brotherly love. It's at the junction of a whole lot of trade routes. Remember, you're heading towards the east, and there was a whole lot of trade that was going on through there. That's going to come into play. And there's also some fertile plains here where they grew a lot of grapes. They were also suffering from the earthquake of A.D. 17, but they had a lot of temples there. They were actually called Philadelphia, (laughs) little Athens, because there were so many temples to the Greek gods. And chief among them was Dionysus, the god of wine and fertility. But here comes the character of the I Am, the Christ, the Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one will open. This whole element, this description of of Christ is incredible, but highlight the key. And the whole element of the key, and they found some of these uh, even at, at Qumran and other places where the key isn't what we think of as a key, it actually includes the doorknob as well. It's not just the key, it's the doorknob. Everything you need for opening and closing this door. This is the one. And there's a reference here back to Isaiah and a promise to Eliakim the, the scribe in the court of Hezekiah. Go back to Isaiah 22, 15 to 25, and you'll see what this all ties in with. Well, here's what he says. Here comes the commendation. I know your works. Because you have limited strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name, look, I have placed before you an open door that no one is able to close. The church has maintained its stand in spite of being weak, in in spite of being just drained. They've refused to deny the name of of the Lord. He's not going to allow it to be removed. Remember those earthquakes, all of those things that it hit? And when there's an earthquake, where do you go for safety? Uh, Any place that's stable. And a lot of times they tell you, get in a doorway because it's the strongest place. Hang on to that. This is really cool. Now, keep going with me. Verse 9. Take note. I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews but are not. Oh, we've heard this before. But are lying. Note this. I will make them come and bow down at your feet. And they will know that I have loved you. This conflict that we saw in chapter 2, verse 9. It's carrying on here. But verse 10. But you have kept my command to endure. I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come over the whole world to test those who live on the earth. This is preservation in a time of trial. Now, this is an important little verse. Uh, Dispensationalists will use this verse here as proof that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation. 
Not saying that that won't happen or will happen, but using this verse isn't one of the ways you need to use this verse because the Greek here, which is also used in John 17, is to preserve from the attack of evil rather than remove it by physical separation. It's protection in the midst of it. Here is where God is saying, even in the midst of everything that's coming, even in the midst of this hour of testing, I am going to be with you. I am going to preserve you. I am going to be with you. We need to keep this in mind. But I'm coming quickly. He says in verse 11, Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Uh, but the next thing is this condemnation. Uh, and there isn't one. And the correction. And there really isn't one. He just says, I'm coming quickly. Now, if you look at Ephesus and Pergamum and Sardis, when Jesus is coming quickly, you're going to the principal's office. But here when he says, I'm coming quickly, you're coming to the wedding. And he says, I'm coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. What's interesting to note about this area here in Philadelphia, in the years to come, in spite of the invasion of the Muslims and all the pressure, a Christian witness was maintained through medieval into modern times in and around Philadelphia. So here's the the challenge that the victor gives. You will be the victor. I will make him into a pillar in the sanctuary of my God and will never go out again. I will write him on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Wow! Name of God, that they're faithful. The name of God's city, the new Jerusalem. Citizenship there. And his own new name, related in a special way to Christ. This is the overcoming. As you persevere through all the trials. We're going to see this again next week. Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 14. You know what? Ministry can be messy. It can be exhausting. It can be painful. We can be misunderstood. We can be persecuted. We better understand that and we better learn to deal with it. Because here comes this push. Persevere through it all. Persevere through it all. Because Jesus Christ is going to open up doors. He's the one that's going to open up the doors. And you walk through it. Trust him. Walk through the door as he opens it. Don't anticipate. Don't, don't get so worked up. But know that no matter what comes, he's faithful. He's true. And he says, I'm going to give you my name. Anyone, in verse 13, anyone who has an ear. Is anyone a single individual? Anyone. What's the old phrase? All means all. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Philadelphia is the faithful church. 
courageous, humble, going through a lot. And he says, hang on. And then we come to Laodicea, the last of our seven churches. We've completed the cycle, and we come to Laodicea. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This this town, Laodicea, they were wealthy. It was a really wealthy Roman city, and they had power because they were rich. Notice how the character of the I am comes through. The I am, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. The amen. I I don't know that we often call him the amen. We say amen. We say, so be it. Let's, you know, join in together. But you know what? The amen is the essential and truth. He's valid. He's binding. He's the faithful and true witness. Unbiased testimony here. The beginning of the creation of God. He was there at the origin. Well, here's his commendation. I know your works that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. Okay, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. That's as good as he can say. Uh, I was a band director in a previous life, and even after a pastor, I, was, I helped out with a couple of uh, the bands that our kids were, were in. And we were at a band competition uh, out west, And it was one of these where the judges, there were three judges, that's pretty typical in band competitions, but they did a special thing where one of the three judges would come up and make comments to the group on stage, on a microphone, after they performed. And there was a judge, and we were sitting there. I was there. I heard this, and it's now with a group of my friends has become a, a pretty standard thing, and everybody that was there The judge got up there and looked at the group, and he's trying to find something good to say about their performance. And he literally said, thank you for bringing your instruments. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, to the church in Laodicea, Christ is saying, thank you for bringing your instruments. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. And he carries it on. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. This isn't a light statement, and there is force behind this word vomit. This isn't, oh my, I got, excuse me a second. This is with all the force that comes out and possibly can. That's the essence of the word. 
What's interesting is the historical and the geographical element here. To the north of Laodicea, there was a town called Heriopolis that had these healthy hot springs. To the south was Colossae, which we know also from the letters to the Colossians. They had cold springs that were clean and refreshing. To get water to this particular city, they had to do it through an aqueduct, and by the time it got there, it was unhealthy, it was lukewarm, it was ugly, it was the kind of water that makes you sick. And so he said, I literally want to vomit you out of my mouth. Notice why he says this as he carries on in verse 17. Because you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't know that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Hello, wake up. You're sitting there going, hey, I'm prosperous. I'm powerful. I must be blessed by God. You are totally idiots. Oh, how's that for a kind (laughs) thing going on here? They assumed that outward prosperity equaled spiritual success. Now, God will bless and God will use. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But in this church, they were ignorant because they based everything on their own wealth. But in God's view, they were ignorant. He said they're poor. This was the wealthiest city, the wealthiest area in the region. And yet they're poor. They're blind. They also, here in this town, you know how certain areas have special uh, uh, products that come from them? I mean, up around our way in northern Indiana, we have this donut. It's called Rise and Roll. It has a nickname because it's so addictive. It's, it really comes from our area. Here in this area, their special thing was this ISAV. And they shipped it all over the world. They went there to get it, and they made it. I don't know how at all. You can look it up. And he said, you may have ISAV, but you're blind. And he calls them naked. They also had a pretty extensive textile industry. There was a special black wool that actually was grown there just because of the sheep. It became, it was soft, it was glossy, it was much in demand. And he said, eh, you're blind, you're naked. But what does he say in response to all this? Look at what Jesus goes on to say. I advise you to buy from me. Gold refined in the fire. Oh, refined in the fire so that you may be made rich. And white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. And ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. Oh my, is he speaking right to them? And you know what? He's speaking right to us. Verse 19 then, you know, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be committed and repent. We need to see here this correction that's coming on. Even as bad. Notice, what did he want to do? What did he want to do to him, Kevin? I wanted to vomit. Yeah, you can't get away from this. But he says, you know what? Even as much as you have disgusted me, I love you. 
I rebuke and I discipline because I love. We need to start understanding the correction from God is a love language. If he didn't care, he would have just nuked them off the face of the earth. But he cares. He cares for us. This whole thing about discipline and correction is a love language. God wants to bring us back into relationship with him. And this call to repent in the other letters of Revelation are there too. But notice he's saying it to this one that even even with this horrible element here, there's nothing quite like this in the others. And he's wrapping up and he says, I love you. I rebuke you and I discipline you. So turn back to me. And then the famous verses, because it's all tied in. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. I'm standing at the door and knocking. We use this for evangelism. But you know what? He's not talking to the lost in the street. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the ones he loves. I'm knocking. Will you open the door? Verse 21. He, well, let's go back to verse 20 for a second. Notice this. If anyone hears my voice. Anyone. You don't have to have it all. Anyone. I'll come in and we'll be together. And notice how this then leads to 21 with the victor, with the overcomer. I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. I want in relationship. Open the door. You're not beyond until that moment when you are totally beyond. And I want you there. I want you there. And then there's the call. Anyone, anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's wrap up. We're going to do this fast. Coming out of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, I want you to see this progression that we've seen in these last two chapters. See how it's reflected in Christ's correction to all these seven churches. In Ephesus, he says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. In Pergamum, he said, I will come to you soon. In Thyatira, he said, hold on to what you have until I come. In Sardis, he said, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. In Philadelphia, he said, I am coming soon. In Laodicea, he says, I stand at the door and knock. To the ones who are called overcomers, to the victors are given the promises. And look at the promises. He says, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. They will not be hurt at all by the second death. I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. I will give authority over the nations. I will give him the morning star. They will be dressed in white. I will make a pillar 
of them in the temple of my God. I will give them the right to sit with me on my throne. Anyone who has an ear, brothers and sisters, beloved followers of Jesus Christ, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's hang on. God's got more for us in Revelation 4.